This is Real Kipper and Board on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. We're back. Glad you're all aboard for the next two hours. Nick Kiprios, Justin Bourne, Derek Brandale, Jen Rolnick in with David. He's not even listening. The cis man? I think so. We going with Dave or David? I don't know. We're going with Sammy McKee producing, who, by the way, Samwise Gamgee is now like far beyond just a producer. Multi platform. He does it all now. Real Kipper and Bourne, a golf show. He was on the Bunkish show for an hour today. Oh, he already did a bu- an hour on the Bunkish show? After doing the morning show. Yeah. And when when we had left <laughs> yesterday, he had mentioned to me, you know, Kibber, I I, I got to do a hit at seven a.m. and uh, you know that's that's early for me. Yeah. And is. I'm like, uh, you you've done those, and I'm like, yeah, I've done those. It's tough to pair up your mouth and your brain. It really is, and and here's the 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 proof in the pudding, as as we say on Sammy. This is just too early for Sammy. Let's uh, have a listen. Uh-huh. But I would say I test wise. They are better this year. I think Lilligren taking a huge dump. Uh, huge, <laughs> a huge what? A huge dump? <laughs> what just happened? Uh, I, gotta, I haven't had my coffee yet, so that's not going to happen. Oh, well, <laughs> a huge dump. <laughs> that's what you think of Timothy uh, Lilligren yes. and his this great is, strides uh, this season. This oh, is uh, Lilligren down the stretch taking a huge <laughs> dump, according to Sam McKee. Uh, right? It's a tough business, man. I it love is. it. Uh, the puck. The puck dropped on my beer league game at 10.30 last night. So, Fortunately, the- I can't relate to ever saying anything inappropriate. What the- happened the- yesterday with you? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I do not condone with that type of language you no. used yesterday. <laughs> oh, first Dump, uh, I don't. First off, F you, Kipper. No, <laughs> 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 oh, but second off, I did, uh, I got caught in a hot mic yesterday, and I, I apologize for that. I, I got to watch my language in here a little bit. Apologize to Dave Nonis. See, the that. difference is uh, for listeners and followers, like when I yeah. say it, when it's, it's, uh, I don't mean to, right. you were calculated on oh. that. One. <laughs> <laughs> I do not think so. That just fell out of my head. I, no, uh, it did. That was unprofessional, it and did. I'll be better. Did you uh, drop a few of those last night watching the Rangers and the Flames last night? Oh, boy. Did because I Because that was a, a fantastic a game, and we're going to get into that. Uh, the hits, the Truba hits. Uh, we've got some sound bite, uh, maybe a few Kip- Kippers Clippers with uh, Gerard Gallant. In about uh, 18 minutes, we're going to go to Chris Terrian, former Flyer defenseman, uh, big player in the Snow the Goalie podcast. And, of course, we'll get his thoughts on Tortorella and mm-hmm. that really strange announcement of uh, be patient with us, folks, letter that yeah. went out yesterday. We're going we're gonna to get Please his attend. thoughts. Please attend. Yes. <laughs> Ken Hitchcock is going to join us in about 40 minutes. Fourth winningest coach in NHL history. We'll get his thoughts on uh, uh, the game today and um, maybe a few Brett Hull stories in the process. Oh, jeez, yeah. Those never get old at all. And in the second hour, Larry Brooks. Uh, tons to get into with him. Just mentioned the Rangers, but also uh, a lot of talk around the NHL Players Association, uh, ready to name Marty Walsh, their next executive director uh, of the NHLPA and how this is going to kind of play out here in the next little while. So tons, absolutely tons 
in the next two hours and wherever you're watching or listening, Sportsnet 590 The Fan, our YouTube channel on Sportsnet or Sportsnet Now, iTunes, Spotify. We are so happy you are aboard. Yeah. Give me a good day, even so, without the Leafs. Here we are, day two of the hostage situation or um, day two of no Leaf game. Yeah. And uh, we'll wait on that until Friday. But a game last night that uh, really had the hockey kind of community buzzing last night. Yeah. Big time. And it wasn't lost on many that that was the best game of the regular season. What didn't it have, right? You, you had offense, you had fights and hits and comebacks, and it was really electric game. You know what? This is something to keep in mind for the you know the, the league when they look at the schedule. When teams are exhausted, they can't put that. This is fresh teams coming off a break full of, you know, pee yeah. and vinegar. Uh, I disagree. What do you mean you disagree? I disagree on the reason why you saw a game like that. Oh, really? Yeah. You don't think it was fresh teams? No. What we do, do not agree. I think it was just two teams uh, with uh, a lineup that kind of can can go down that path. Yep. In a million years, with all your bets, would you put anything on that the Leafs could play a game like that or maybe uh, six or eight teams? Ah, uh, it's unlikely. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's unlikely that the Leafs could play like uh, Calgary or, or New York. I mean, they could have a game like that. I don't think it would come naturally no, to them. Have sure, a game they like can. That. No, they can. Zach Yassin tried to fight Radko Gudis. It could they, happen. They had a couple of greasy ones. Oh this my gosh! But it didn't look like that's not the way. That's not them, though. No, it's that's not. not them. Correct. That's not their style. Correct. That's not where they're shaping up towards to go. They want to beat you, skating around you. Yeah, but not through you. So definitely their preference. My point is, and this isn't to start knocking against the Leafs. I'm saying that there's too many teams not built like the Calgary Flames or the New York Rangers. That's that's all I'm saying. Yep. That these games that we saw last night are far and few. Yeah, and listen, they're awesome. If you're a fan of the Leafs, you're listening to Caprio say that, and you're going, "Yeah, those teams are both worse than us in the standings, yeah. so we don't care." I, I'm, I'm not. Listen. uh, Right. Valid point. Yeah. 100%. But you want to, you want me now to watch for two and a half hours. That's and feel, the point. And feel like I can't leave my seat because something is going to happen. Right. I'm leaving the teams with the more points yeah. in, in your standings yeah. and feeling like I won't miss something if I go to the fridge or, or take a leak. Yeah. The Flames for the first half of the year have been boring. I think Eric Francis said that on our show yesterday. He literally was like, I don't know if you guys care about the minutiae of this team because they are boring. That's but what they he said. can do this. They do have those guys. It's they, nice to see. It's 100%. a reminder to them. So, so are we now in, in, uh, in, in a place where they just choose not to? And last night, for whatever reason, and listen, I'm not, I'm not throwing away your, hey, they feel good, they feel refreshed. Yeah. But it was way more than just feeling good and refreshed. That's a team that probably came in here for Calgary and said, hey, if we don't pick it up now, if we don't start off tonight in yeah. New York and play like our foot is completely down on the pedal, 
we are going to be really embarrassed at the end of the year. So let's yep. get going. 30 games. That, that's why it felt like a playoff game because Calgary, maybe for the first time this season, treated it like a, a, a playoff game or a must-win desperation game. It's a fresh start for them. Like the sands of the, sea or the, of the hourglass are running out in their season. They got 30 games left and they need more of this. You know, one thing that stood out to me is when they lost Matthew Kachuk, the idea was that he was the guy who brought them, dragged them into fights, and Kadri was going to do that. Kadri has played great hockey. He was an all-star and all that. But he hasn't been as greasy yeah. at times. And you saw he greased Truba behind the net a little bit and perhaps and, got and, his and attention. Got, and got the dominoes going. Right. And I think that's good for the Flames, whether they were on the wrong side of a couple yeah. of hits or not. Yeah. And it's, and it's fantastic. But, yeah. you know, again, just in a, in a big picture, like... If we had games like that more often, I mean, we would look at the league in a complete, entirely different light. You know what's interesting is... Do you not... I agree. Right? I'll watch that regardless of outcome every time. I think the mix of incredibly high skill... And speed combined with the oh, yeah. physicality was oh, what made that game. Oh, no, no, no. Listen, let's, that, let's be honest. That game here. last night was let's fast be, and skilled. Let's free, stop it with it's the true. skill for a second. I agree. Heedle's flying around out there. Zabinajad going bar down. Like, I am not saying you're wrong here, Sammy, but what I'm saying here is what led the charge in this game. Oh, no question. Not the skill. No question. But just the, the, the sheer emotion of a couple of big hits. And Kelly Rudy called the game last night. And I think there was one line that he used that just stuck out like a sore thumb for me. And that is, I could choose uh, eight different goals to show you. And I can choose to show some really good saves. But this is what we're showing what you. you. See. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> That's it. And what leads the whole highlight reel? Mm. The hits, right? All of it. That led last night's charge. Yeah, I agree. So the the greater zoom out then is how does the league encourage that? You know, because the teams themselves, obviously the ownership would like to keep that energy in it. The teams themselves want to win games. If a team like that wins the cup this year, you'll get more copycats. I don't know. How does the sport, I, how has the sport lost it? Yeah. Perhaps it's hard to do it whenever and so fast. It's tough to line guys up. And I'm not, this isn't about, listen to me carefully, everyone. This isn't about going backwards. It's not going to find uh, goons again. No. It's not. It's about bringing it's better more hockey when there's emotion that. Yeah. and the physicality of what this game is all about. And... You, it's almost as if we've been so scared of the big open ice hit. And I get it, all the talk about CTE and all of it and the concussions and just that negative effect that it's had on our game and how it's made other people mm-hmm. feel to the point where they, you know, there's there's some that lobbied, like, let's completely take out checking out of the right. game. Let's just go to the skill of of passing and shooting. And I'm like... Oh my God! There's some games you watch, and it's like watching paint dry. Like, uh, am right. I watching a plant grow here? So I have no interest. So then, I wonder if it's even possible to strive for that balance of 
protecting people and CTE and concussions and all that stuff, which is a very serious element. And, you know, you talk to my dad about it. He believes he's been greatly affected by it and I've seen it. But at the same time, the UFC exists. It exists because people accept in some sports that they're okay with it. And is that hockey players now? I don't know. I don't know what our game is. Maybe our game is lacking identity now that we're trying to figure out, are we the clean skill game? Or are we accepting of some of the risk? Because I don't yeah. think you can play a game. But I don't know. Not not between those. Not a lot of people, you know, came out of that game last night worried about concussions or uh, CTE. They just took it for face value. That's kind of one of the first things I noticed is how physical it was uh, fightings. And listen, don't think for one second. I think I'm going to get away with. Uh, uh, going two hours with you beside me, and we're not going to have a, a conversation on are the fights needed after a hit. Right. We're going to go down there. We are. We know that. But the 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 trickle effect about uh, you know did we cross a line? Did did uh, J- Jacob Truba cross a line here with the dangers of his hits? Like I'm watching last night, and I'm going. You see that guy right there named Jacob Truba? That is our modern-day Scott Stevens right there. Yeah. Nobody on this on this planet right now can make a better open ice hit than that guy. That guy should put videos out. He should do clinics. He should tell everybody this is the best way to throw an open ice clean check. Kelly Rudy's a Calgary Flames guy, okay? I mean... The first thing out of his mouth is, oh, that's a clean hit, man. I, yeah. I can't knock against it. No. I can't knock. There's nothing there that I don't see that I can say, I've got a problem with you, Jacob Truba. And there's people who are listening to this going, okay, it's a fine defensive play. You separate the man from the puck. But it's so much more than that because intimidation is real in hockey and it is a physical sport and that exists. And so coming in against the Rangers defense now, you have to know who you're playing against It'll affect whether you dump it or carry it in the zone. It'll affect how you react on 50-50 plays. Like, the Truba hit has a larger effect than just a good defensive play. And I think that's lost a little bit when you have these conversations with the more pacifist fans who don't think it's necessary, is the value of that hit is real. And as someone who had some hesitation as a player, I understand what it's like to be like, just not him. I'm just I'm firing it in the other corner because I'm not going I'm not going down his side. It changes how you play and it has strategic advantages too. Most importantly, if you're in the NHL and the NHLPA, it changes the way you watch. It brings you up mm-hmm. to the edge of your seat and you're more up not to miss shift to shift. Mm-hmm. And you know, you want to talk about oh, we need gambling to keep him engaged. No. You need that game last night to keep them engaged. That's what you need. Mm-hmm. Forget about everything else. Ironically, you need Forget engaged about players. Shooting pucks at a stupid surfboard <laughs> or the over-under. Just have a game like last night that you can present somebody who's paying two or $300. You got no problem at all moving forward. I don't, I don't even have an argument. I think it's a great point. What was? Why did Kadri look at his feet when he was a foot away from Truba? Don't can know. I ask you that? You know why? Because ninety percent, ninety-nine percent of the time you don't. That's get That's why. But he had the puck, looked up, saw it was Truba, comes over the blue line and put his head down. Well, 
Did he see it was uh, yeah, Truba? Mistake. Oh, yeah. Yeah, just, or he forgot it was Truba. I don't know. Somebody forgot. Or he saw through Truba. Yeah. But God, Looking that was him. unbelievable. Do you guys want to hear what uh, Daryl Sutter had to think Love about the physicality? Love to hear. His, yeah, his it's very, coach? It, okay. Yes, it's very good. Did you uh, see the proper response to those hits from Truba and, and Blake? Sure. I mean, Naz hit Truba in the first period hard, right? If you watch, that was the stage for... It wasn't a physical game. There was three or four big hits. They were all clean, good hits. <laughs> it wasn't a physical game. There were just three or four big hits. <laughs> what are you people talking about? Are you watching out there? It's great, though. But, you know, that to me is, is someone acknowledging that, you know, he doesn't expect his guys to go fight after that. And just it's a big hit. Move on. Would you like to hear what Gallant had to say about Very the physicality much. in the I game? I would, yes. Like I said, tonight, just it was it was different. Like, I mean, there was big hits. There was a bunch of fights going on. And I don't know, first game back, maybe the guys are pissed off that the break was too short. I, I, I really don't know how to explain <laughs> it. It's the first time I've been involved in the game, similar to that tonight, and since I've been with this team, for sure. Oh, he liked it. Loved it. Well, I mean, look at Gallant's career. I think yeah. he's going to like a game like that. The toughest guy's... Going. Yeah. Yeah. So it comes to the big issue about fighting after a big hit. And Glant was asked about that, and he gave an answer. We can go off of it if you guys want to hear the question. Yeah, let's go, let's go with uh, Glant, and, uh, and then we'll play off of it. Yeah. It's a shame you have to do that every time you throw a hit. But, I mean, you know, the, for me, the first hit was a good, clean hockey hit, and it wasn't a dangerous hit. And, you know, you wouldn't think there'd be a retaliation for that, but there wasn't, and that's fine. But the second one, I mean, he hit Cadre pretty hard, and it was a, you know, looked like Cadre might have got hurt. And I understand guys standing up for their teammates; it's all the time. But I just think sometimes it gets a little overreaction. Sometimes, uh, you know, I mean, Trube is a big hitter, and people know that. But the first one, I thought, uh, was a little overreaction for me. You think, Kip? What do I think? I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, situational, uh, yeah, but it's not situational. It's it's really a an individual preference. Like you don't have to. People are right. You don't have to fight after a big hit. The question is, do you want to? Mm-hmm. Right, and that's where Dylan Dubé says, "Yes, I want to," and I think there's more upside in doing it, either for me as an individual or as a team collectively. And you can't take that away from him. Mm-hmm. That's his call. It's not yours or mine, and it's not you at home watching on the couch. It's not even the coaches, to be honest with you, unless you, you, you want to follow a, a, a strict rule that he shuts you down on that, then that's on the coach. But yeah. that's not happening. So it's it's... Dylan Dubé's got to make a split-second call. Yeah, He doesn't have re- review uh, video. He can't go and watch it three times and say, hey, listen, did he clip his head or not? Yeah, you don't want to err on the side of just letting it go. I, I don't it's... know. So I, I agree. I agree with that. I think that here's what's changed for me is that because we don't have hits like that with any consistency, when you throw a hit like that, it sends the message to the other team that you're looking to hurt them. You're looking to put a, a licking on them, right? And that is a, a deviation from normal defense because nowadays we don't see it. So when you do see a guy get smoked, you think the guy is being a predator and you want to say to the other team, 
if you want to try to hurt our players, which certainly that hit by Truba is not just separating a man from the puck. It's trying to hurt a guy in a way that is legal. And I got no problem with the team saying, don't try to hurt our guys. You know, we're going to fight about it. We're going to be upset. You're going to have to answer for it. If you do try to put guys in the trolley tracks and light them up. So yeah, you don't have to fight after every clean hit. I, I understand that. But I do think because the game is different now and there's less of it, when it happens, it stands out as something that's like actively a pursuit of hurting my guy. Yeah, that's, I think that's exactly it. It's like Kipper nailed it. You, Dylan Dubé probably probably could have made a business decision there and maybe not gone after Truba. He was but, a little bit out, weight glassed. But I think we'd all be sitting here saying, what the hell, how do you not go after him if he didn't do it? Like, can you imagine somebody did that to, to Marner and, you know, bunting skates away? It's right. like we'd be in here eviscerating him. Yeah. So it's just like he has to, uh, to me, I think the first one, he's right, Gallant. Like, the first one I don't think was necessary. It was within the flow of play. Puck goes the other way. Tanev goes out of the game because he already had an upper body injury. And he's out now. He leaves the game. Maybe he didn't need to do that. But the second one was such a flashpoint moment. Bucket goes flying like Boys, that was a crowd, big hit. <laughs> crowd goes crazy. That's where you got to jump in. If, I, Listen, if I'm his teammate, I'm jumping him. And even Truba, who's the best out there, I mean, the, the, he's human. So he's going to have thoughts in his head. Like, if I do this, I know there might be some uh, repercussions from it. It'd be fun to be big and strong right? like Truba and not care. Well, listen. Sometimes you're you're playing three games in four nights, and you got a sore shoulder, and you're like, uh, "Nah, not tonight." Yeah. That's human behavior. Yeah. And but if if I know that I'm going to go out there and I have the potential to make a hit like this, and no one's really going to come after me, mm-hmm. I'm doing it a lot more. Sure. I'm going to look for it a lot more. Yeah. And now it's. Now it's a, a free-for-all. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if people truly understand that, that that dynamic in a hockey game that, you know, you give an inch, they'll take a mile. Yeah. And and then there's a domino effect. Well, if Truba can if Truba can do it and, and look like a rock star, well, maybe Lindgren's going to go, okay, well, maybe I'll get a couple of licks in here. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of ripples it can ripple in many different ways or you can force guys to say okay if i'm gonna go out there and make this hit uh whether it's clean or not uh i know that maybe someone's gonna challenge me it will affect my behavior moving forward yeah and and obviously that's more relevant in a playoff series okay we're gonna welcome in chris terry and uh someone that knows uh on occasion what it's like to pay a price for a hit uh, or two uh, throughout his his career. Uh, Chris, how are you, pal? Thanks for joining us. We're just talking about that Ranger-Calgary game. I'm not sure how much you saw of it, um, but we spent a good portion of the first 20 minutes of our show talking about how it gave us a look of a regular season game that we haven't seen all season long. Kind of makes it interesting, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, like, you know, again, I, and you know, Kipper, like we talk like this, we come on and again, there was a lot of guys in our era that just weren't, they weren't savages by nature. And I didn't, I'm just following, catching up a little bit. I was at, I actually had work all morning today, guys, but I know I heard a little bit about what went on. These are things like where they get those big hits and the retribution. But the thing is, is that, you know, you wonder sometimes like guys are actually starting to talk about like leaving the big hits alone. 
Like, if, if, if it's okay to hit a guy if it's a clean hit. But for, for years, guys, like, I mean, you hit a guy wrong 20 years ago, 25 years ago, there was, there was going to be automatic payback for that. Yeah, and obviously it, that has gone away a little bit. Did What were your thoughts on Truba's uh, hits last night and the, him fighting after? Were you fine with how the, the physical element of that particular game last night? I don't have a problem with any kind of physical, uh, you know, part of the hockey game as long as it's done right. I didn't, guys, as I said, I, I just followed up and hearing a little bit from what I was listening, waiting to come on. But again, like, I don't, part of the, the hitting part of the game, I, were, you, I, were Truba's hits dirty? From no. where you saw them. No. Clean. No. Clean. So th- and that's exactly what I was saying, is if the, cl- the hits are clean, why are we making a stink about it? There's not enough hitting in the game as it is anymore anyway. Like, so if you get a guy that's out there and he's making great hits and they're clean hits and there's retribution for it, I don't get it. Because the league doesn't go that way anyway. I mean, we're not, we don't see line brawls like you used to see in the 90s over whatever, because there was a fourth, two fourth lines out there that were ready to mix it up over whatever went on. I have no problem, guys, with a good, clean hit, even if it brings people off their ice or they don't like the way it was made. But there has to be room for that, and there has to be, and I don't necessarily think that there has to be re- immediate retribution for it. There's enough dirty hits. I bet you there's more dirty hits now than there probably was at one point in the NHL like long ago. When we talk, guys ab- police the league themselves. When we talk about uh, the league sanitizing itself the last ten or fifteen years with with all of this stuff, has there been a a big or uh, another organization that's been impacted so much because of this when it comes to their image than the Philadelphia Flyers? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, a, and a lot of guys have Kipper. Like, but you're right. But this, so this was a team, and I talk about it all the time because, you know, historical elements of the Philadelphia Flyers was they were the true brethren, the true brotherhood of of the Wolfpack, right in the NHL. Like they won. You can look at the Montreal Canadiens who won in the '70s. The New York Islanders had an edge, but it was the Flyers who were like, you know, you're going back. They're the only all Canadian team. All, all, every member was a Canadian in the '74, '75 season that won those cups. But you're absolutely right. In terms of the national appearance from Canada, even the world appearance of what the Flyers were, what they stood for, the players or the personnel they had, yes, there's no, there's no team that's been affected by it more for what their persona was, but also what their appearance has been uh, to the brand here in Philadelphia. It's, it's yeah, not- absolutely, Kipper. What a, what a fair statement to make, and, and I totally agree with that. And, you know, it's, it's just not like Bobby Clark and Hound Dog Kelly were talking about. I mean, Jeremy Roenick, Darian Hatcher, these guys were, like, in the 90s, man. They were they were tough. They were vicious at times. But yep. hold on. The current Flyers yep. team is kind of trying to do that with Tortorella, aren't they? With the Laurier and, you know, they got a number of guys that, that are willing to go, no? Well, they'll go. I mean, it's just, you know, again, it's, it's just a different. It's just different to me, guys, from the era. Like, I mean, every team back then had... I mean, every team had three or four guys. Uh, that that it was it was a different sell. It was a different. But I've talked about this that those personalities, in a lot of ways, made up the, the charisma of an entire hockey team, and they could do that. Four guys with those kind of personalities could dominate a locker room because they were the guys that everybody gravitated to. And so that's why the, that's why like those guys like you always hear a guy like a Zach McHugh and people talk highly about him as players. You know, the current player. 
But back then, I mean, that was there was teams fabricated on that. There were personalities. Kipper, we knew who you were. We line up. I mean, and there was all, but every team had guys. Like Kenny Baumgart. You could go through lists and lists and lists of names of guys that made it kind of interesting and, and kind of put everybody, I think, on the seat of their pants. And certainly the Philadelphia Flyers, of all the organizations in the history of the sport, were the ones that probably reaped the most from that attitude or that lineage of the tough guys playing hard, the physicality, uh, the brotherhood sticking together. They, they filled in every part of what hockey was and what we expected it and thought it was. And they're, so absolutely, they've been the team that's been hurt the most by um, the loss of that in many ways and of what we've seen, uh, guys. And probably, I get, you're right, 15 years, I think, it's been kind of like where we've seen it start and delve into where we are now. So then you look at the, you know, the personality, the collective personality of the Flyers, and how does that contrast, I guess, with the recent letter that John Tortorella wrote to to season ticket holders that basically says, uh, we know it's not going great, but please stick with us. We're going to find it here. Like, it feels like a pretty mewling. (laughs) I don't know. It's Yeah. How do you feel about a letter to the season ticket holders? Well, listen, I'll tell you one thing. All right? I, I like the job that Torts has done in terms of getting the players to be accountable. However they think they do that, whether it's his old brand of being a bully. So here's one thing I'll tell you guys. That letter could not come from Chuck Fletcher. There's no way. Okay. Like, absolutely. There, there's no way that he could have sent that letter out and the fans again said, oh, great. You know, this is where it had to come from Torts because he's the one that's really, I think, been the integral part of trying to get in guys' wheelhouses, whether you're young, whether you're older. Here's the other thing, too. I think it's fair. And, you know, guys, I mean, we've talked through the years, you know, the last couple of years, and things have been really bad. Last year, my issue with this team was its effort that I saw on the ice. It was pathetic. It was a disgrace to watch. From a professional standpoint, guys, like, literally, they could have gone in the corner with a dozen eggs and came out every time with every egg intact. That's what it was. That's no compete. So towards this year, and I don't care about fighting. It's, I just want you to compete in the corners in front of the net and try to win a battle because that helps your team. This year we've seen that. You know, we saw a competitive game last night against the Islanders in a 2-1 loss. Here's the one thing I think Torch put it together. He's going to be here for four years. He ain't going anywhere. He's held guys accountable. He's made the team more interesting to watch. The other thing in the city of Philadelphia right now, too, guys, this city in and of itself, has gone through an amazing amount of success with other sports teams of late. The Eagles going to the Super Bowl, maybe one of the best regular season teams ever. I think they're going to win the game. The Phillies with a miraculous run. Major League Soccer going to the final game and losing in overtime. There's been a lot of good things that have gone on in sports in the city. The 76ers, one of the hottest teams in the league. The Flyers are at the low end of that cycle right now. And I think Torts is saying, bear with us. It ain't going to happen tomorrow. It's not happening the next day. But we're trying to build something, and we're hoping that you're paying attention to what we're doing. That being said, I'm not making excuses for the personnel on the ice. Yes, they work harder. They still need players in here, like playmaking players, that difference makers that can put an imp- make an impact on a hockey game. They're not there yet, but they're at least rebuilding a culture of what once was with hard work, yes, yeah, some bruisers that – uh, you know, maybe you don't see as much on other teams with the talent level they have, but they're trying to put an impact back on the city. And I think the biggest part right now, Nick, it uh, Kipper was saying, was that they have to rebuild the relationship with the city. And I think that they've really made some significant strides this year 
with an attitude change and a culture, a return to culture that was once here that was not represented in the last three or four years, to be quite honest with you. You know, the one thing I, I the, the other thing is I'm not as surprised, Chris, uh, in terms of uh, a letter like that, but just the timing of the letter Really, the week of the Super Bowl with your uh, your local team uh, playing a, a huge game on Sunday, this to me just reeks of a, of an organization that is either desperate or really, really scared about uh, like losing a fan base. Yeah, I think, well, there's, there, yeah, certainly they want to get back to trying to get people in. And I, I've told them, like I said, I've gone, I've not been back in the office over there. And I've told them pretty frankly, like, you've got some, there's more pain coming here. And Torch knows that. Like, if, if you're a flyer and you're being told, well, this is another year or two built, you're just being lied to. Like, you're not being told the truth. And, I, and I've told the, the, the higher, like, the business side, this is a process. And, uh, you know, again, and, and I'm going to be honest with you, finishing between 17th and 25th in the standings does not help this franchise at all. Um, that being said, you, you can't ask guys to go in the tank. Nobody's ever going to do that. Um, but uh, you're right. I mean, it's, 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 it's an odd timing, but it comes after the all-star break. It's the second half of the season. And I believe, believe it or not, guys, that's something Torch would want to do. I just think there's been so much successes. I just think he wants to make sure. Yeah. And maybe there is part of him saying, Hey, we need to make sure people still realize that the Philadelphia Flyers are alive and well. And that there will be a, tor- a, cor- a corner to turn at some point where they'll be relative again and somebody else will fall. And that's kind of, unfortunately, though, it's been going on since that knockout in the playoffs of 2020. Um, and, and they're trying to find um, a beacon of hope and a ray of light somewhere to shine on this team. Uh, because, you know, they've had misses in the draft. The Nolan Patrick thing, who knows if that could have been a better thing for the Flyers, made them better up the middle. There's a lot of what ifs, a lot of contracts. That, that are here that they don't want here. There's injured guys. They have long-term left. Um, so that's going to be one of the things that they're going to have to do. And I think they, they realize they're going to have to salary dump and they're going to have to change a lot of the things. But I think what Torch is saying, guys, just he's got to clean up the culture. And I think he's gotten a little bit of that from some of the brass and saying, hey, we need a return to what semblance of what was that represents this city. And we've not seen that of late. So I think that was part of the messaging for me was really not so much to a national audience, to the immediate fans here in the city of Philadelphia that I think we're growing tired of what they were seeing. We're talking to former Philadelphia Flyer defenseman Chris Terrian. Snow the Goalie is the podcast, and he's got a great book uh, out called Chris Terrian, Road to Redemption. JB, you got any follow-up on uh, on the letter? Uh, I got one more for Chris. Go ahead if you're sticking with it. Yeah, I'm going to stick with it one more. You had mentioned earlier yep. that there's just no way that Chuck Fletcher could ever have gotten away with writing that letter. So you tell me what that letter does to Chuck Fletcher in terms of, uh, you know, how Flyer fans uh, move forward with Chuck Fletcher. Well, I don't think, I mean, if you did, if they do a poll, like the elect the poll last year, there was someone like 96% said they were dissatisfied with the job that he's done. I mean, listen, anybody could say that, right? Like it, it could be a critique of a general manager. Ron Hextall is going through, you know, his own stuff in Pittsburgh. So that changes and it, it, it goes on and on. But for me, Chuck Fletcher, I think, had just lost the bankroll with the fans in terms of saying, hey, we're going to do this and here's what we're doing. Like, after the summer last year, I think that he'd lost a lot of people because I still have fans come up and they're like, I don't want to hear Chuck Fletcher's name. You'll hear that from a lot of fans. Philly's a very, is a very nitpicky niche city with what they believe in. And once that they 
made up their mind on someone, it's over. They're all about torts. I can tell you that. Go look at social media, the fans, and, and just read it. The fans are on with what Torts is saying and what he's preaching. And that's why, for me, from a political standpoint, and there should be no politics in sports, but there is, that letter could only come from John Tortorella from where this team is sitting right now. Well, I'll be the first one to say, man, the NHL needs the Flyers back. No questions asked. They do. They, they, they absolutely do. They're great. They're great for regional TV. They're great for, and, and, and listen, like, and I know it, like when I go around and I traveled and I did radio and TV for all those years and traveled, I mean, there's some buildings that have 2000 people with Flyers jerseys on it and other buildings. You know, they are an important brand. They're a world brand. People that go overseas know who the Philadelphia Flyers are. No one's going to talk about, you know, the Nashville Predators in Europe, but people do know who the Philadelphia Flyers are all over the world. And I agree with you, Kipper. Um, it's a good thing for the NHL when the Phil- when the Philadelphia Flyers are at, at the front of the of the pack, at least prevalent, you know, an importance to the league. And uh, and I think that that's really what Torch is saying is that we're going to try to keep climbing, we're going to try to keep getting better players in here. Uh, but I'm asking for patience uh, amongst a myriad of other really good things going on in Philadelphia right now in the sporting world. Well, at least they got gritty to hold the fort. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what. They- they Any play center? Play. You know what? I, they were doing so well. And then I saw them with like a banana hammock on the beach last week, and I'm like, oh, God, here we go. <laughs> but, um, you know, at the All-Star game, and um, that was it. That was it. But, you know, he's, he's, he's become good for the kids, I think. And I, I think that, uh, you know, he's not quite the face of the yeah. franchise he was yeah. a couple of years ago. Here's the problem Thank with God. that. Kids don't pay the bills. <laughs> <laughs> they can bring people who yeah. do, though. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. and Philly, Philly is that town, right? Like, and you do get people who just come up to you like, you know, I just want to watch the game. You know, I just want to watch the product <laughs> on the ice. And, but there's, and that's one thing, guys, a lot of old school uh, Flyer fans are still here, um, you know, hanging on to a lot of, of, of the history of this team. Hey, Chris, really appreciate your time. Thanks for doing this, man. As always, guys, thank you. Thanks so much. Appreciate Chris it. Um, you know, it's a big hit too. Uh, uh, All Star Break is that mascot game. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if that's I true. Can, I, I mean, like all kidding aside. Yeah. It's. Uh, I don't know when Gritty came in. Five years ago. Six Gosh, years yeah. ago. Sammy, would you even know? It's like I think. What was his the, draft year? The Gritty, first, Gritty came in hot. The, he no, was but really. He fell. Funny. He he had a bad spill. What? On one of his very first kind of public appearances. Mm-hmm. And everybody's like, who the hell is this? And oh my God, that thing's like I'm horrible and get rid of it. And then he turns out to be I the just, biggest star. So mascot uh, star. He celebrated his fourth birthday on uh, September 24th yeah. uh, this year. I'm telling you. So he was, seen, uh, 2018. It, it yeah. was not a, a, a good opening night for him. You know, it's funny that you hear uh, Bundy talking about you know, the old Flyers fans carrying the history of the organization with them, just want to watch the game, whatever. Like, the league is actively trying to court the next generation of NHL fans. And, you know, you and I talked a little bit about ratings and NHL stuff for the All-Star Weekend. ESPN PR put out their ratings and stuff. And the growth is heavily in the younger demographic and with women. And they are seeing, like, a, a huge amount of growth in that particular area. And... Yeah. You know, to the league's credit, they know they, but, they have to, they need sustainability. They can't just count on the old Flyer fans. No, but you you have to be able to do it without completely isolating the majority of the yes, people that do. are continuing to pay the bills. Yep. Right? 
But and these people are going not, to pay your next bill. You don't know that. Well, you need someone this, to. Hey, they're going to die. Look at the young generation around Greater Toronto. They're not living here. They're not getting allowed. They can't afford to. That's right. <laughs> so how you tell me how they're going to afford to go support the Toronto Maple Leafs? And yeah. I'm, you know, I'm not saying that you. You don't have to do what you're doing, mm-hmm. but just be conscientious of who still pays the bills yep. to your product. Yeah, you I know? think I think that's an important element, too, is respecting the history and, and the fans y- who have y- been y- lifelong fans. You probably isolated a few of them oh, yeah. uh, on, on Friday night during your skills competition, and that may be the price you have to pay. Yeah. You know how I feel about that, though, Kip, and we've talked about it, but just like... Some stuff's for you, some stuff's not. All-star well, game, not you know, for us. Uh, speaking of gritty and that, that mascot game, you know when they play today? No. So you thought it was a long night, Friday night, after uh, the, the skills competition? They played after the skills competition. Like at 10-something 10 night? 10.30. Were people still there? How many kids would stick well, around? That's really, just if I may say, that's dumb. Like, you know, all the kids are going, my kids are six and they go to bed at 730. <laughs> 7.30. 7.30. Who's, who's sticking around? <laughs> yeah. I'm not making it to that time. No. Okay. That was a weird one. All right. That was a weird one. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. We got Ken Hitchcock, fourth winningest coach in NHL history after the break. How many wins? Don't look. Don't look. How many wins? 730. 894. So many. All right. Hitch, after the break, you're watching and listening to Real Kipper and Bourne. Breaking down the biggest trends in hockey. The Hockey PDO Cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, let's welcome in one of the winningest coaches in NHL history. JB, I gave you the number. 894. Let's welcome in Ken Hitchcock. Hitch, you couldn't get to 900 and just round it out for you? There, there's an age restriction, and I passed about four years earlier. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, I, to be honest with you, I had enough, and uh, I learned a of it even at the time. Uh Ken, I don't know if you can hear me or not, but we're going to try to get a, better, try a different line. Here. We're going to try a different line here uh, and see if we can clean this up. Uh, Sammy's Let's going see. for his record of three dropped calls. We got the triple dunk. I, I, Kevin oh, Curry said to say sorry, by the way. I Oh, I don't care. Yeah. yeah. We're way past him now. <laughs> That's old news. Yeah. yeah. Uh, triple dunk. What is your betting guy? What is the yeah. over under on Sammy? Uh, breaking his record of three dropped calls. No chance. Three's a big number. It's he's, huge. He's got to get two more here. Uh, <laughs> plus plus twelve hundred <laughs> if he can get there today. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's take two with Ken Hitchcock. Uh, yeah, yeah. You got you got to give me it one more time on on the reason why you couldn't find six more wins in your career to get to nine hundred. Well, there was an age restriction, and I passed it two years earlier, Nick. I was, I was cooked. I was done. And, and, and not, the, not the games and not the practices. I loved that and still do. But the travel really started to get to me at the end there. Well, uh, Hitch, thanks for joining us, first of all. And uh, 
Uh, we know that uh, you're doing some coaching consultant with the uh, St. Louis Blues. Not not sure how many games you're watching outside of uh, the Blues, but we saw a, a real good one last night in Madison Square Garden between the Calgary Flames and the New York Rangers that uh, brought great memories of, uh, at once upon a time, a, a game that could have it all. Uh, skill, uh, good goaltending, great saves, and uh, a physicality hitch that we aren't, like really used to seeing on a on a game to game basis here, and you know it was led by a guy uh, like Jacob Truba, and you know there are times when I could look at Jacob Truba and maybe compare him to a choir boy compared to maybe uh, a guy like Darian Hatcher, who who you <laughs> knew real well, uh, and and one of the most vicious guys I've seen, uh, right up there with the likes of a Chris Pronger. But uh, your overall thoughts on maybe either what you saw last night or what you heard about uh, in that game? I watched every second of it. Oh, good. And uh, I, that's hockey. That's, that's the thing hockey love. That's tough. That's aggressive. That's got skill in it. It's got passion in it. And you've got two footers who drive the best there. Both guys, Gerard and Sutt, they can really drive it. And I'm hoping that that's what we see for the next because it's hard to distinguish any team from another until you see those teams play and then you say, well, there's what you're going to need if you expect to win again, that type of game. The um, you know watching the the change in the physicality of the game and how it's it's evolved over the years, you're a coaching consultant now. How has coaching evolved over the years? How has it changed now for how you dictate, you know, how to communicate to these players, how you want them to, to get the message? You know what's really changed, Justin, is that you you have to be comfortable as a coach explaining the end game before you start talking about the start of the game. Hmm. What I mean by that is that the players want to know where they're going and if they can what's in it for them. And you can't be offended by that question. And yeah, we're gonna we're, oh gonna, we're gonna have to drop. Uh, oh my god! Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Listen, Sammy. I, I asked him if he had a landline. I he didn't. <laughs> I don't you, know you didn't ask him if he had a landline. It did. You did. And he didn't have one. I would say that is. Uh, I mean, I'm stunned. I'm stunned that Ken Hitchcock doesn't have okay. a landline. That's okay. We are never to have a guest again on a cell phone. <laughs> I do don't mean? care. We never have another I guest. I don't care, Sammy, if you got to get two uh, cans and tie a string to them. I'd rather do that than a cell phone ever again. <laughs> okay. Let's not oh, get I Ken was, back. Oh, listen. When he had said that I watched every second of the Calgary, like, New York, we go. I'm like, I love it. I was so excited. I, like, was so, just... I was so excited to hear him talk about it. And it's like, uh, Hitch, can you kind of go on the roof, maybe? Uh, just hold some tinfoil up. And... He said, he w- he's like, I'll move to a window. And then he moved to a window and it sounded better. And then it just got bad again. I what do you want me to do? Do you want to call him again? Yes. Do you want to try one more time? One more time. One more time. Yes. Okay. And if it's, really he's on a cell phone. I to talk to Ken Hitchcock. It's on a cell phone. <laughs> Just tell him to move one more time. <laughs> and besides, I, there's a selfish part of me that wants you to tie your record That's of three. That's what this is. That's 100% oh what this God. is. <laughs> How? 
Yes. Oh, my God. Okay. Um, and by the way, yeah. I mean, I, I talked a little bit about Darian Hatcher. Uh-huh. Oh, my God. Just, I love Darian him. Butcher. I, lo- I loved him. I wish. To play against him? Uh, no, to, to have him on my team, <laughs> <laughs> whatever team I ever yeah, had. Yeah. But he had that same type of mentality as Chris Pronger, and that's like, you know, I'll do anything to win. Like, I, you know, you played a little bit of that style. You had a bit of that in your game. Was it hard going out for the game? So for me, when I'm standing in the hallway, you know, the ice is drying. Yeah. We're about to go out there, whatever, freezing. We're about to go out in there. I'm like... Oh, here we go. This is be fun. I'm flying around out there, find a puck, you know, dilly dilly. Is it like, what is the mindset heavy? You're no, like, oh, I got to go no, out there and get No, believe angry? it or not, it, it's not. It's like, you know, sometimes it's, I wonder how the game's going to look and feel in the first five or seven minutes. And his, hey, listen, there's a part of me that goes, I want to score a goal. I want yeah, to make yeah, a yeah. nice play. Well, listen, I want you to don't be on score a, a ton in all be, through your life and then I want to be a highlight. That. I want to be on a highlight. I want yeah. to be on the score sheet the next day uh, when 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 my my buds uh, look at the summary. Yeah. But as the game progresses and if it gets a little kind of greasy out there and all of a sudden uh, one of your better players gets run, you know, it's like, oh, okay. This, I guess we're doing my, this. My numbers H- get H- called here. Hitch is there. You know. Okay, Hitch. You know how badly we want to talk to you. We're gonna we're gonna keep calling you. <laughs> okay, well, listen, that's how listen. desperate we are on this show. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We we do really want to talk to you. And uh, I I got excited because you know you did mention that you did watch the game very closely last night, and and the elements uh, were very much in the wheelhouse of uh, of should I say the mid nineties. I loved it, Nick. I, I mean, that game was you—you you couldn't turn it off. It was, it was so, and it was, and it was really well played, and it was passionate, and they were going right through each other, and it was—you you could feel the emotion right through the television. It was, it was fun to watch. And you know, we were kind of getting your answer um, to, to my question about coaching today and the and the change in it. You're saying that you kind of got to start at the end a little bit now with younger players and say, here's where we're trying to get to, and then sort of work through the process of coaching younger players. Yeah, that's what's really changed, Justin. Is that's that's a big factor. Like they're, you know, they they come. They've got a lot of people that help them get to where they're getting. And they feel like they need to include those people. So those people are asking questions, mm-hmm. players asking questions, and you can't be offended as a coach if you've got to give the right answers because um, I find right now, unless they know where they're going, they're, they're not going to buy into the level that you need them to buy into. Hey, uh, Ken, can I ask you, when we talk about how the game's evolved in the last uh, 20 years, is it the the, the chicken... Uh, and the egg theory here did we, we did we coach a certain element out of our game or did we run out of players willing to uh, do sorts of things that uh, we've been accustomed to in the past you know what changed nick was the in the middle 2000s like 2005 or 6 after that with the elimination of the red line, the uh, the game got stretched out. And so the close quarter part that we all enjoyed and we love coaching in players, 
loved playing and it, it changed the game completely changed because the game's now stretched out long plays are in um, there's all kinds of room through the neutral zone because players are stretching it out for people coming underneath um, you look at exits you look at Toronto they're one of the best in the league at leaving early out of their own zone you when you look at Toronto and you look at a stop a stop pitcher of them breaking the puck out there's never five in the zone the fifth guy's already at the far blue line and they stretch you out and so it's hard to get that body contact. It's hard to get that grittiness part of the game because everybody's so far away from each other now. Mm-hmm. I find that fascinating. And, uh, yeah, all of a sudden you have to have uh, great skaters, not, not average skaters, uh, not even below average skaters, but you need great skaters now on your third and fourth line. But saying that, exactly. Hitch, uh, the Leafs are also a team that's been looking for a fourth line for two and a half years now. <laughs> Well, I, and you know what? They 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 got like they're they're going at it the right way. Like they they play they they compete hard for pucks. They win what I call second quick all the time. Like when Toronto turns it up and they've got that second quick game going, which means their second guy's in on contact before your second guy. They're really effective and they possess the puck all the time. So they they've got the right element to win long term, and and. Uh, you know they're going to need a lot of people to do that because you can only you got to do it with four lines because you know what it's like Nick and and you get into these big series against good teams first two lines you saw off mm-hmm. and then now now it's up to three and four to do the job and so you got to have confidence that you can put your three and four out there against anybody because your first two lines are just going to saw off during a series. Yeah, you know, that I'm interested to get your thoughts on the Leafs' ability to defend in the postseason because, you know, what you're talking about is really it's worked for them in the regular season. They've had great success, um, and they break the puck out really well. You know, they go back on retrievals, they grab it, and they're out of the zone. You mentioned they get guys out of the zone, they stretch you out, they do that well. Against the heavier teams, we're seeing Boston, Tampa, they get on their D, they make contact, that make them stop the cycle. They have some trouble are they able to have success defensively by being a team that seems to defend by not defending, by getting out of their zone? Yeah. I, they, for for me, and watching Toronto, because I've seen a lot of their games, they're, they're very successful when they play defense in the offensive zone. Right. And they, they hold on to pucks and they keep possession. I I think when you play teams like Boston and Carolina – you've got to find a way to hang on to pucks longer because if you don't, they're going to burn you. Um, those two teams break out against pressure as good or as better than anybody in the National Hockey League. And Toronto, to win that series, because there's going to be long stretches, guys, where there's not going to be any scoring in the game or the game's going to be tied, <clears throat> they're going to have to win the possession game. And that means they got to have big enough bodies to protect the puck in the offensive zone because you're still going to give up your scoring chances. But if you can get that possession time way up there and just not even create a scoring chance, but wear teams out uh, in in their own zone, that's going to make it effective for you to score later in the game. Hitch, is it still a, a big man's game, uh, a, a, an occasional mean guy that could do something like Truba did last night? Is that still an element that has to be there to raise the Stanley Cup? Yes. For sure, Nick. I mean, without the defined role players and the guys that are willing to play right through you, I don't see how you can win. Like, like if you watch Carolina play right now, I, I've never seen a team play that hard in front of the opposition net in my life. Like, 
Like they've got chaos every time they're in the offensive zone. You got chaos at your own net trying to defend these guys. And you watch them, you watch them use the back of the net countless times just to wear you down. And then, then they attack. And I think that's the winning style in the playoffs right now is how long can you keep it? How long can you keep them defending and wear them out so they tire? And then that's when they start making mistakes. So the St. Louis Blues are a team that you're obviously close to. Um, and, you know, they kind of seem stuck in the middle a little bit this year in terms of where, what direction to be going. What are your thoughts on how the, the Blues season has unfolded to date? I would say one thing that we've noticed is that we're, we're, we're a team that is situation motivated, and that's not going to be successful at the end. We've got to get mm-hmm. back to our own game and motivating our own game we play hard and well against teams that we either fear or respect. And then when it's just another night and you're just playing hockey, we seem to fumble the ball there. So I think regardless of what happens, we've got to get the culture back where we're competing at a high level every night and not based on the situation, whether the coach is mad or we've lost a game that we should have won and that gets our attention. We've got to get our own attention and we've got to really – turn our focus inward. And I think if we do that, you know, we can build a culture that we're back on stream again. But when your situation motivated, it's a hard ball because the coach can't catch it and the players can't keep up to it. And it's really hard to be competitive if you're not consistent. We're talking to Ken Hitchcock, fourth winningest coach in NHL history. Uh, Hitch, uh, you on occasion throughout your coaching career had a few uh, characters to say the least. I'll name uh, Holly. (laughs) I'll name JR. <laughs> I will name Eddie Belfour. Where is Bennington in that mix? He's right up there. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, there's a part of me that really likes this kid a lot. Uh but there oh, is I do too. There, there is a line, right? Yeah, and you know what? Um part I like about him is he crosses the line and then drags everybody into it. You got no choice and you got to love that. And that, that is so much like Eddie, like Eddie would just cross the line. And the next thing you know, you were in this bloody battle and he started it and, and you you end up, you love him. And to me, Binner is a great teammate uh, that players love him. They know he's got a fuse and when it gets lit, then everybody's got to hang on for dear life because you're going to get dragged into it whether you like it or not. And I, I, I just think you have to be so impressed with his competitiveness. And, you know, you, you go as a coach, you say, now, listen, Vinner, you got to cut that out. But when you w- close the door, you're smiling. And, and that's just who he is. He's a really highly competitive guy that's a, that's a, gr- a really good goalie in, in a game where you know what it's like, Nick, right now. Size matters in the net. And he's not the biggest guy, but he's really ultra-competitive and never quits on a shot. And I think that becomes contagious. Is personality important in a team? You know, like, do you need to have some characters like that? I feel like some teams today lack that a little bit and some guys that just, I don't know, you know bring their teammates into the fight with a little bit of their own flair. I, you know what, Justin, I, I think that whole element of a game I wish was back, you know, where you – you, you didn't like another player. Like, yeah. we don't talk enough about no, the guys we don't like, you know, and and the personalities. You know, you yeah. go back and the, every team had guys like that. Like, you know, the fear of Darren Hatcher going just off and who knows what would happen. 
that's an element that makes you really nervous. Like if you're playing against, like for me, for us in the West, it was always Kevin Bieksa because he mm-hmm. was this wild card. I, I said to the players one day, I don't even know if Bieksa can say, skate backwards because he just <laughs> attacks us all the time. And and you've got to circle his, his, his number and his name because if, if you fall asleep when he's on the ice, he's going to step up and kill you. And those type of conversations you know, towards the end, especially you, you weren't having those. Everybody was playing the game in a normal fashion, fashion, but the wild card guys, they were effective. And, you know, Bieksa was really effective in that game. Very similar to the way Chelios played. Hitch, one more for me before we let you go. And it, uh, it's around the trade deadline. How many times in your career uh, did you know that the trade deadline's coming and then you just knew that there was going to be a change or you're going to get a little bit of help? Today, I think there's a, a level of frustration with all of the coaches knowing that they're in cap hell and this is what it is and you better make the best of it. Is is that a fair thing to say? Yeah, you, you, know, the, you know the mistake that I made was hoping for Mr. Goodbar to show up because... I found that what 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 helped me, and I, we, I always talk to the general manager about this. I said, you can ask me about where player X fits in on our team, but don't tell me who's let, getting let go. I felt like if you knew who was possibly on the block or was going to get traded or might get traded and what the, you know, what the player transaction was going to be, I, th- I thought sometimes you stop coaching that player that you had, and that was a big mistake. So for me... Um, I found it to be a very nervous time for your team. And even teams that were really high up in the standings, some of the players that were nervous had no business thinking like that. But it is a really nervous and, and tight time for players. And it's it's like a biggest relief, Nick, when you get through that thing. Oh, yeah, 100%. One more quick one. Uh, best trade deadline deal for you in your coaching career? Uh I remember this story. Bob Gainey came to us and said, what do you think we need? This is in 1998 to, to get over the top. You know, we, it was us, Detroit and Colorado. And we said, oh, we need a second line miss and a first line miss or whatever. And he sent us Scrutland and Keene. And, and it was two fourth line guys that ended up being third line guys that just, they, they just brought our team together and, and were the glue of our hockey club. And it was one of the best trades and these were just role players that came in and did an amazing job and just brought the camaraderie to our team to a whole other level. And he knew that that's what we needed, and we were asking for much more, but what he brought us fit perfectly. It almost sounds like it's a, a Coleman-Goudreau in, in Tampa Bay. but not... I was just thinking how much the Leafs would love Scrudlin and Keane. <laughs> that would be unbelievable. And, but those type of players today cost first-rounders now. Do you remember what the package was to get them? Was it expensive? I thought it was just a face-off in the other zone. I'm not sure, though. Hey, uh, Ken, uh, really appreciate the effort. Uh, You've never sounded better to us. I can tell you (laughs) that. Uh, We really appreciate your patience with us. Okay, thanks, guys. Okay. Thanks, Ed. Appreciate it. Hitchcock. That was pretty good. Really good. I could listen to him all day. Oh, listen. Uh, I, Sammy's just thanking the yeah, lucky, the Sammy, audio gods. No <laughs> record broken, Sammy. I, your three dropped calls intact. Honestly, from two perspectives, 
I just didn't want to get strangled like Bart Simpson in the in the break <laughs> by I'm, Kipper. I'm ready to come through the glass <laughs> by. Ah, and then the second time, that was awesome. Yeah. Guy watches. He's got opinions. Bad news for Hitch. I'm aware he watches the Leafs now, and we like to talk about the Leafs. He may be getting calls. Well, like, and just him talking about how much he loves Carolina and the chaos and the... There's a reason that guy is the fourth winningest coach. Listen to him talk about hockey. I'm sure... How much do you think Barube's been in his ear? I bet you he's talking to him a lot. I'm interested in what he said about... Why would he, right? Yeah, Yeah. if, if you've got that guy near you... Yeah, I'd be asking him everything. Interesting strength he pointed out in the Leafs. He talks about second quicks, as in they're the second guy into the pile. So both teams have a guy in the pile. They got the next guy quicker than the next team. Love and that. that keeps the pucks in the pile. Yeah. keeps it in the offensive zone. That's a good observation. That's important. Well, I, I, you know, it made me think real uh, clear on, uh, you know, that, that tipping point of of our game. And it is... Red line, in mm-hmm. or out, you lost the two-line pass. And how much quicker did the game get? And ultimately, was it a good thing or, or not a good thing? Because, because it, it did change, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You no, you're it good. did change your third and fourth line to, like, you need high-end skaters yeah. to be on your fourth line. You can't get in yeah. when, with the puck moving that quickly. You can't get in on a four check on on a fourth line if you're not a great skater. And listen, I I, I still push for Wayne Simmons compared to what I've seen mm-hmm. uh, for Leaf options, but that's an issue for him. You're right. the The whole game used to move as a collective up through the zones, and now when you have no red line and you stretch it out, you have to be able to cover that ground with your feet. And so, to your point, to get in on pucks, a hundred percent. Like that's I've loved uh, fourth liners that are younger. Because of energy and ability to to go, you know, you're, yeah. you're more like a dog chasing a tennis ball at a dog park than you are this and guy in a battle. This is where the Leafs have excelled. Is that uh, to to Ken Hitchcock's uh, point? Like they get out quick, mm-hmm. and there are times early in the season where I it, it just wasn't in sync, and the stretch passes were uh, timed well. They were. Guys stopping up, uh, but then they've got they they got it together for a good portion of the regular season, and they once again became a very quick team. Here's the one thing I do not like with no red line yep. is sometimes it can look to me like a friggin' ping pong game, mm-hmm. chip and chase. And as quick as some of these guys are, they're still not fast enough to get in there. Yeah. And, and the D pucks, are so good now, so and, fast and, themselves. They get back on pucks. And, and the puck's in and out, in and out. And you're looking and, you know, the, you can see the crowd at center ice looking like they're at Wimbledon more than they are in an NHL game. So when I would tag events for the Marlies, one of the things I would do is every time there's a regroup, I hit, you know, the R button, whatever, and then a neutral zone four check, I hit the N button, whatever, and it would be regroup, neutral zone four check, regroup, neutral zone four check. I used to call it the neutral zone swirl. You'd get caught in it for 45 seconds at a time. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. We got Larry Brooks, a longtime NHL writer for the New York Post. He's going to join us. We'll get some thoughts on his... uh, His views of the Rangers in Calgary last night. Uh, Also, of course, uh, a lot of talk around the National Hockey League Players Association having a new uh, executive director coming very soon. And his name is Marty Walsh. We'll get his thoughts on that and more when we come back to Real Kipper and Bourne. 
Smart takes on the biggest stories in sports. The Fan Drive Time with Ben Ennis. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Just waiting on uh, Larry Brooks from the New York Post. Uh, a lot of talk about uh, the NHLPA and uh, not many people know about uh, Marty Walsh. Yeah. So let's bring in Larry Brooks. Uh, we'll talk about uh, the NHLPA, but uh, first and foremost, it seems to be the good, a good portion of our show uh, has uh, revolved around the game at Madison Square Garden. Let's welcome in uh, Larry Brooks now. And uh, just your thoughts, Larry, and uh, the one thing that stood out for us uh, throughout the hour and 20 minutes we've already been on air is uh, how much the game last night uh, in New York against Calgary didn't look like a, a typical game we see during the regular season anymore. No, I, I, uh, good afternoon, gentlemen. It was, uh, it was a fun night. It, it, it was a wild game. It was kind of a throwback game. Um, there, was a, there was a lot of edge to it from the start. Um, I, I think the fact that it was the first game for the Rangers in 10 days and first game for Calgary in nine, um, played into it. It was pretty sloppy. There were a lot of mistakes. There was a lot of open ice, but uh, you know there were wild momentum swings. There was a a, a delayed penalty that was going to be a major that was rescinded. There, you know, there was a, a goal that was reviewed on a on an off the skate. Obviously, there were the the two Truba hits um, followed by fights each time. Legal hits where he had to then drop his gloves. There was a big hit on Lucic from Sammy Blay. It was a wild game. And, and, you know, there were, there were some spectacular picturesque goals too. I mean, if you, if you check out, um, Zibanejad's, uh, game tire, mm-hmm. you know, check out the pass from Panarin. <laughs> I mean, you know, so it was, it was a game that never really stopped, you know, it got going and, and there were some delays for, for, uh, video reviews, but it was a game that from beginning to end was, you know, there were, there were twists and turns and, and it, it was like an old time rivalry game, you know, between a team that hadn't played this year and, and, uh, and, you know, only plays twice. So it was, it was different. It, it, it was. And, and Truba said, you know, when, when Truba has these games, there's a different feel to them. Yeah. Um, it does feel, you know, back to the 1990s. And, and for me, you know, back to the 1970s and, and even earlier than that when I was watching as a fan. Um, so it was a good one last night. Yeah, you, um, if you could bottle that one. Yeah, um, no kidding. You know, the TV ratings probably, probably wouldn't be talking about TV ratings. Yeah, well, it's funny. They feels like they need that Truba to drag them into these fights. And this is a team going into this year that had high expectations off their playoff performance last year. A little bit of a slow start, but are you starting to see that Stanley Cup contender emerge again? Yeah, I am. Um, I don't think they're in the upper echelon. If you, you know, if you want to divide the league, who would you put at the top? You put Boston, Boston yeah. right? And I guess Carolina. You know, then you'd have Carolina. Do you do you believe in in the Western teams? I'm not sure. Um, you know, Toronto's a good team. I, I'm not sure if the Rangers are there. But I know they're the next maybe half step below because they're a little bit more than the sum of their parts. They're not a perfect team. Um, you know, they've got deficiencies, but I think every everybody in the league does. Um, it's it's a very it's a difficult league to mend 
deficiencies because of the cap. You can't just go out and, and get someone to fix your problem. Um, what, about half the teams are capped out already and have been capped out most of the year. So, um, you know, you deal with your flaws. And I, I think the Rangers, it took a long time for the Rangers to find to find some consistency in their game, to 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 find some chemistry in their game. You know, they they lost some pretty important players. They lost three of their top six forwards from last year. I mean, Pop and Petrano and Strom were in their top six last year. They all left as free agents. And so they were filling those holes. And, and from the beginning of the season, it was, I mean, from the off season on, it was clear that the Rangers were going to need their younger players to take a step this year because, you know, of the absence of Cop, who was playing top six last year when they got him at the deadline, and Petrano. And then you're, you're going to need Trocek to be able to somewhat duplicate the chemistry that Strom had with Panarin. Well, that hasn't happened, and it took a long time for the kids to start to develop, to take the next step. And you know, we talk about kids, you know, they're, they're young adults, obviously. Um, but we're talking about Philip Hedl, and Cackle Cackle and Alexi Lafreniere, and the last two Lafreniere and, and Cackle get more notice because they were the first and second overall picks in the draft in, in 2019 and 2020. Um, and it took a while, and you know, and and they played together. You know, last year during the playoffs, they ignited the Rangers. They didn't seem to have the same kind of chemistry when they were put together the first time around. Then the second time around, it's it, you know, it was a little bit better. But now they're together, and they're playing – the three of them are playing their best hockey of their career. So they they have now become the Rangers' second line. Um, and that means that Trocek has now slid down to a third-line role, which is different. Um, it means that Panarin is playing with Zibanejad, which is different. So it, it's a different kind of mix, but – um, again, I, I, you know, they, they understand how to win. They're, they're a pretty resourceful team. And I think they come at you with, with um, their top four on D. When you've got Fox and Lindgren on, on one and you've got Keandre Miller and Truba on the next, you're, pretty, you're, you know, you're set up pretty well. And they've gotten good goaltending. Not great. Um, Shesterkin has not been at the level he was last year. Um, but he's improved as the season goes along. So um, I can see them winning a four out of seven from just about any team in the league. I can also see them losing. You know, I mean, it, you know, it, it's that close. But, but I think they're going to have a shot going in to make a run. I, I, I do. We're talking to Larry Brooks, longtime NHL writer for the New York Post, uh, around the hockey world. His slapshot column is a must-read. Uh, Larry, uh, as far as the National Hockey League Players Association, it just seems like uh, it's all but rubber stamped uh, that their next executive yeah. director will be the U.S. Secretary of Labor, uh, Marty Walsh. Uh, it sounded to me, uh, Larry, that uh, maybe even a few weeks ago, this was not on the radar. Um, but right. uh, as far as uh, on the scale of coming out of left field, uh, where is this on a, a, a 1 to 10? Yeah, I mean, uh, this is Carl Yastrzemski, right? (laughs) 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 Yeah, I mean, actually, it sounded to me about a week ago that Mike Gillis was was um, um, was in pretty was in pretty good position to get this job, and I'm not sure what happened. I I believe they were the two final candidates. Um, 
I think there was a spirited um, discourse. <laughs> I'm not sure how the vote went exactly, but um, I'm not sure. I, I mean, you know that that you know Walsh has an impressive background, obviously, but I don't know. Um, and I'm uh, you know I'm hoping to talk to a couple of guys in the next couple of days, but I, you know I don't know what his philosophy is. You know, I, is is he going to be um, adversarial? Is he going to be a let's let's try and get along and grow the pie uh, kind of guy? I don't, I don't know. It's a tough job. And, you know, it, it, there's a lot of work to be done. And I, I, there's work to be done immediately if the NHLPA and NHL are going to fashion an agreement to um, increase the cap by more than a million dollars next year. Yeah. And it, it seems to me that it's absurd not to. You know the money is coming. It's going. You know they're going to be reasonably close to paying off the escrow debt. Um, I, you know, the, the the numbers to me it's kind of like voodoo economics. Um, they come out of you know talk about left field. They kind of come out of left field. Nobody really knows what the escrow debt was and how it's been paid off. But you know the, if there's you know if there's a flat cap again next year. Which it's which it, Gary now has indicated it looks like that's what's going to be. It's just strangling the league. It just strangles the league. It strangles, you know, the top twelve, fifteen teams in the league. It strangles guys over the summer. Why not smooth it out? You you know it's going to go up by another, you know, by four and a half million in two years, four million in in three years. So why not smooth it out? And you know, increase the cap to three, three and a half. You know, by three and a half next year, and three and a half the year after, and three and a half the year after that. And I, I think that's, you know, I I would ima- I I would hope that that um, was part of the discussion when Walsh was making his presentation. Like, you know, how are you going to approach this? And you know, I, I think Don Fear was far less adversarial than people expected, and I think there was somewhat. I think there was a fair amount of angst over um, the way the PA has operated over the last number of years. And so, you know, is this is, you know, I know that, that they were talking about looking at people who had a labor background. They were looking at people who had business background because, you know, it, it's almost on the players to increase revenue <laughs> you know they're they're employees but they but they but they have to grow the pie so they can get their 50 percent of it so i'm not sure you know what walsh actually um what his philosophy is going to be on this but it's an interesting hire do you think sure. they could run into an issue you know reading some of frank saravalli's reporting today you know walsh has ties you know from his political background to jeremy jacobs the most powerful owner in the nhl who um, you know, had been putting quite a bit of money into Walsh's campaign, it sounds like, throughout his years in, in politics. Is that the sort of thing that could derail this, or does it sound like one that doesn't make a difference if the league or if the players want him, that's the way it's going to be? Yeah, I'm, I'm, not, um, I'm not educated on that, yeah. so I, I, I probably shouldn't, you know, speak to it, but I, I would imagine that this is not going to be, you know, if – you know, if he's gotten to this point, it's probably not going to be, a, you know, it's, 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 it's probably not going to, um, 
keep him from getting the job, I would think. But but honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm just not educated on that. I know where you are educated, and that's uh, labor yeah. disputes in hockey over uh, the history. Yeah. So yeah. tell me something. This is, uh, Larry, uh, three years away from a, a collective bargaining agreement opening up again. Is this really um, headed towards that? Is this uh, a big picture kind of thing? Would that be the first and foremost on the players' minds? Or are we in a situation where, hey, guys, the fight's over, man. They're never, there's never going to be a shutdown ever again. You can't go anywhere with a 50-50. Uh, fans won't buy into it. There's no appetite uh, and no patience for the fans to ever see this game shut down again. I think there's no patience for the. I, I, I think that's I think that's true, but I think that fans always come back too. I mean, I, I you know they're like a captive audience, honestly. And and it's I shouldn't even say they. It's you know it's we. I mean you know um, people are angry, and then the next year or the, in the middle of the season, you know the the season starts, and what are you going to do? You're you're not going to watch. You're going to punish yourself because you're upset. I so I don't know, but I would. But but again, I, I would think. I would hope. I mean, it, you know. I mean, Nick, if, if if you were you know if you were playing, wouldn't wouldn't that have been the you know the first question? Well, we have a CBA coming up in three years. What's your position on this? Are we going to be militant? Are we going to? You know, are we going to look at this at the margins? What, what, you know, what can we do? Because I don't think. Um, listen, the NHL was threatening to shut down during during the you know it, during the pandemic. Um, it was a tough negotiation, and 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 I'm not you know, and I've written this. I'm, I'm not particularly cheerful about how the agreement was was crafted on the on the PA side. I think that it. I think that the union bowed to the escrow hawks. Um, I think that there was a real tilt toward older players um, on expensive contracts who were tired of losing escrow. And I think that the majority of the players got shafted on this deal. I do. You know. I mean, you could see it. The flat cap. The flat cap. The flat cap. There's no. There's no room for free agents. There's no room for group twos. I mean, so, so the entire middle class gets squeezed. And so I would think that that would have been part of the presentation. Here's what we're going to, here's what we're going to look for because the NHL is always going to use the hammer. They're never going to come out and say, Oh no, we're not going to, don't worry. We're not going to lock you out. Don't worry. <laughs> that's not going to happen. You know, that's not going to happen. That's always the hammer. And that's always what the NHLPA is dealing with knowing that they're facing an adversary slash partner, but I did more of an adversary in, in certainly collective bargaining who will shut who will shut the business down. So, you know, that's, and I understand that, you know, it was, it was Don fear was in a difficult position the last time during, during the pandemic, when they, when they redid the agreement, they extended it. I get it. It was tough. I didn't, I didn't like it at all. Um, but it was a tough negotiation for him. It's going to be tough for Marty Walsh too, because they have, you know, again, in, in the NHL, they, they've, 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 they've got a force that just will shut down the business if they don't like the agreement. So um, it will be very interesting. Um, 
I'm not sure. It's the other thing too is that you have to educate the players, and you know, the players in this generation are not. They're just not. They're they're, they're not. They're not invested in the labor negotiations the way guys in the '90s and, and 2000s were. They just they're just not. You know, they they they're making an immense amount of money. Um, everyone's doing well. Um, and, and, and it's just not in the forefront. I mean, there, there, are, there are players who are just not educated in the history of the union, who, who just are not educated in the contemporary uh, back and forth. And that is one of the major jobs, I would think, of the Players Association's administration to get players more involved and, and you know, to have them understand what the CBA is and what it means. Everyone younger than 40, Larry, is just like, yeah, you just give me the term. I'm not, I don't read the terms and conditions. You just tell me. Tell, tell me what the situation is. Um, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> last question for me is just uh, you'd mentioned those big name guys on big tickets. I want to get your thoughts. Kane, Taves, New York Rangers, will we see that this season? Either one of those guys wearing the uh, red, white, and blue? You know, I, I don't see Taves. No. Um, you know, and. <laughs> I don't see where he plays on this team. You know, honestly, they've got Chocek now as their third line center. I think, you know, Heedle, you know, I, I think they're going to ride with Heedle. So I'd be surprised, Taves. Kane has always been the guy um, because of his um, experience with Panarin in Chicago. It always seemed, it always seemed a natural fit. I started writing about it last December. But I thought Kane. I, but I, what I believe is that Kane made a lot more sense for them last year than this year. You know, they they would have had the two playoff runs um, as opposed to one. They would have had a full season with him. And now I, I think what's what's changed a little bit with them is the fact that Panarin's playing with Zibanejad. Zibanejad is now just you know it, it's hard to play with Panarin. <laughs> you know, it's very hard to play with Panarin. Um, and Zibanejad is just learning how to play with Panarin. Now you're going to bring in Patrick Kane. I'm not sure. And and of course the cost is is you know is is going to determine. Um, I think you know a, to a large extent what what the Rangers do. They're not going to be you know they're not going to give up any of their kids off their roster. Um, they they're not going to trade Brennan Offman who, you know, was their first round draft pick a couple of years ago. So what they have to deal basically is Zach Jones and Vitaly Kravtsov and a first rounder. I don't know that that's their biggest need at this point. What I, what I look at them, I think they need to bulk up because when they lost their four straight to Tampa last year in the conference, fi- in the conference finals after winning the first two, they could not get to the net. They couldn't score. And they had scorers, you know, um, they could not get to the net, and, and they and they and they could not wear down the Tampa defensemen over the series. They just weren't big enough. So I think they need I need they I think they need to add a little size, and I think they uh, they need to add a little meanness, and I think they need to add on on their left D. Um, they're they're really very thin on D. They're they're you know they're terrific in their top four. Braden Schneider is is an outstanding. You know, a 20, 21 year old right defenseman who plays on the third pair, but they're using Ben Harper um, on the left on that third pair. He generally doesn't play a lot the last 10, 12 minutes of close games, as the Rangers like to cut down. 
I think they could use a left D and I think they're looking for a, you know, a big physical left D, but there are other issues. Next year's cap pretty much limits them to trading for rentals. Yeah. They, 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 they have, they, I mean, they're in such a bad spot well, for next year. It's, a, it's, 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 it's almost unbelievable. Larry, uh, um, the Rangers and, yeah. and Toronto. So uh, is, is there any scenario at all where you see uh, Kane renting himself out, knowing that he can't stay? Like once you go to New York, man, you don't want to leave. Yeah, he can't stay. Yeah, he can't There's stay. No and he can't stay know, in Toronto. It's, it's impossible. No, it's impossible. Now, you know, would he like to, you know, he, he obviously can direct the trade. I mean, he can tell the Blackhawks, listen, I, w- I want to go to New York and I'm not going anywhere else. And I want you to take their best offer because I don't want to go to a team that's gutting itself, you know? <laughs> so um, I think it, I, I think it could play out that way, but I, I don't know Patrick Cater. Yeah. Um, and, and again, you know, he played with Panarin a long time ago, um, 15, 16, and 16, 17. So it's a lot of, you know, it's a, it's a lot, it's a lot, a lot of players. Well, Larry, we really appreciate yeah. your feedback, man. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Thank Larry. You. Thanks, yeah. sure. Larry thanks, Brooks. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, Good Larry course. Brooks, NHL writer for the New York Post. Uh, interesting thoughts on uh, Pat Kane and, of course, uh, what we think is uh, going to get rubber stamped very quickly. So Larry uh, was there when you were there. Marty Walsh. As executive director, yes, Larry's been there forever. Yeah, I mean, with the Post too, like not yes. like nine different papers, like Larry, oh, the no. Post, and we can recall like Larry's most famous moment in his career. Oh, then get the out of here! Then, I am. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, what is it? What, what am I saying, Brooksy? No. What do you, what I guess that's what I'm saying, Brooksy. <sighs> I guess that's what I'm saying, Brooksy. Oh Boy. my God, that was awesome. It was. That was awesome. So, uh, I, I, I mean, I've been around as a player in the Players Association and watched these various. Uh, uh, I lived through a strike. Mm-hmm. I went through a lockout. Uh, I don't think that people necessarily have to worry about a, a new guy coming in to try to outmuscle Gary Batman. You will never ever outmuscle Gary Batman and the owners ever again. So let's you just think get this that league will, straight. Would you know? Larry's talking about how the league would just shut down again, or that's their ultimate threat. Like, can yeah. they, are they that? Surely I, they know I, 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 it's, I, it I would end poorly. I don't think JB. There's anything to shut down for, right? Right. It's just not right there anymore. Like you've gone you to fifty fifty. Yeah. Now does the NHL want to bring them down to forty four forty two? Like how many fans would? sympathize with the NHL owners for no. going be all, b- below a 50%. Yeah. Like there's nothing more fair in life yeah. than 50%, yeah. you know, and of course on this show I get 70, you get 15 <laughs> and Sam gets 15, but that's different. Well, that that to me that's sort of fair <laughs> given what we deserve. So so what is this really about? Well, this is going to be about uh, the smaller stuff. It's going to be about, okay, what can we do to get a new guy in there that might have to go and fight for us a little harder on uh, micro stuff, not macro, micro. Yeah, but, you know, and I mentioned it to Brooksy just because I read it in uh, 
Frank's article, interesting to hire a guy who seems aligned with an NHL owner previously. I mean, if this guy's buddies with ownership, is that a great I, position to go no, into? It, optically it's not, but we don't necessarily know the relationship. No, we and, don't. Uh, it, you know, the one thing that strikes, strikes me, uh, and you mentioned this, I think uh, he's He's one without a law degree. When was the last time someone was in that position? No law experience, no hockey experience, yeah. tied to an owner. Well, what am I missing? I don't. I, I, don't, I, know. I, don't, I don't know. I don't know how, anything about it. I don't so. know how much he's tied to him. We'll have to. I don't know. Either hear from him, or I'm sure someone in the media will address it. I can't believe that you were the mayor of Boston and you have uh, no interaction with a, a very powerful, uh, you know, person like Jeremy Jacobs in, in Boston. Yeah. Uh, so I, I got to think that there there is some sort of relationship, but how is it going to play out with his new job? Um, I, I don't that w- I, that wouldn't make me uh, nervous right now. It w- it wouldn't. No. I mean, he's pretty sharp guy, I'm sure. Well, obviously, you know, like he's on Biden's staff. Like he left some work to be on Biden's staff for a while, and then left when he didn't get named chief of staff. Like he's that high up with the current president. So. The man yeah. clearly but has some influence. There, there will be some stuff that he can go in there and, and kind of shake it up. Now, you know, Donald Fair is out because he, he just lost his ability to go in there and, and kind of fight for the players a little bit on, on smaller stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think the biggest one and the one that kind of I scratch my head on still is like, where is the league going with international uh, uh, revenue, right? Where is it? Like, where is the game plan? Where are we you thinking know where we're going? of? Yeah, I know where we're going. <laughs> Good eye, mate. Good eye. How about some shrimp on the barbie? Where are we going, JB? Australia. We're going to Australia. Well, hey, I mean, I don't know. There might be uh, some, some money in, in Australia, but like... Where's the game plan? Where is the the thought process? You know, it, not not hey, let's throw a dart on the wall and we're going to Australia. But like, can we have a, a a four, a six, an eight year plan on where we see Australia? Not on an exhibition game, but in four or five years. I know. No, I, I mean, if you want, if I'm a player, we're talking about Batman was just talking about uh, respecting individual players' choice. My my individual choice is to not start my NHL season on the other half of the planet where you're going to come back and be jet-lagged and, you know, like it's terrible. It takes a while to recover from going to play, to live in Australia for but they're, know, they're, they're getting, 10 days. They're, they're, they're pulling out Don Johnson suits for Mitch Marner to wear. They can get them to go to Australia and, you know cook some shrimp on the barbie to sell the game <laughs> i don't know man that's that's a tough sell but just send them to like the yukon and northwest territories or halifax the or... shark season was over before they left like, czechia this this year wherever what? it was they played australia yeah. i got a dm from one guy one time that's like i'm from australia what would you think of a hockey down here so that guy Gonna be thrilled. Listen, my cousin, my cousin uh, was the GM of a uh, Australian ice hockey team over there. Yeah, really? Uh, oh, it's real. He played the whole kit and caboodle. So, we, how good's the level? Could I go there and make a D <laughs> team? I think you would have a chance. Is my understanding? Yeah, you're better off trying to golf. I actually considered <laughs> doing it in the summers here when I was playing college hockey. Go down there and play there their winter. Now, I did hear that. Uh, 
you know, not the sense of urgency, but uh, getting him named as quickly as possible can get the talks started for changing the CBA uh, before, I guess, June 30th. That's the, the, the date on getting the salary cap up. And that's something the players want. Oh, oh yeah. 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 And, and, and Gary and the owners. Everyone so should want that. That, that, that is going to happen here. But I think I had heard earlier that, uh, you know, some people were talking about, you know, six or seven million dollars or five million dollars. I had heard that it's the most you can go up is five percent. And that is probably because of the certain things in the CBA that it's, there is mm. a cap you can you can you can negotiate uh, uh, a cap for next season to go up. That much? Four million? I uh, what would five percent be on eighty two? Yeah, it's like four point, just over four. That's not necessarily that you're going to take it all. Mm-hmm. I, I just heard that that was that would the be max. The limit, yeah, that would be the limit. So I believe now that the that's a foregone conclusion. They will bring the cap up. Is it eighty five? Is it eighty four? Hmm. Uh, as Larry Brooks had said, by at least the end of next year, the debt will be paid off by yeah. the players. Well, that's a good point by, good by Larry, and other people have made that point too, just about the smoothing thing. Like, if you know what's going to get there right now, the league really is yeah. suffocated. Like, player movement, new contracts, it's... God, you see what the other, you know, highest paid players in, in other sports are making. You know, the NHL was in line with it 20 years ago, and now 12 and a half mil here, whatever it is... Forty you know, million in most sports. The other thing that Larry that's, said, uh, that, that's you say Kikuchi money in baseball. Yeah, you know the, right, the, the other thing that Larry said that kind of pissed me off, uh, or at least reminds me, and it's not what Larry said pissed me off, but uh, the truth of that the, the guys just don't pay attention, and they you need you to be educated. Oh, that, that they don't. They're in this mess because they never paid attention. Yeah, because they didn't care, and uh, all, a lot of them still. I bet you if you asked them how escrow worked, they wouldn't yeah. have a they're, clue. They're like, we'll let the grown-up sort it out. I'm just a Not kid a playing hockey. And it's like, no, no, yeah. no, you're a grown-up now. You're in your yeah. 20s and you're making and millions of dollars. This is important. I, I would hope that now, you know, this isn't, the, this, the Sid and Ovi era is, you know, on its last few years, this Marty Welsh coming in now, he's, it's not, Sid and it's not Ovi and the guys around that era, but this is now uh, Jack Hughes. Mm-hmm. It's uh, Matthew Kachuk. It's Marner. Cage it's Thompson, Matthew Jason Thompson. Robertson. Now those guys, they're young enough where they can pay attention, but they're going to have to. Mm-hmm. They're going to have to force themselves to learn and, to Larry's point, uh, get educated. Yeah. Yeah, it is, you know, tough to make someone learn who doesn't want to learn. But, no, I agree. That's a crucial part of this and something I wish I had done more of in my younger days is, you know, pay attention. <laughs> Tune in, kids. It's my, it's my Don Cherryism of the day. Speaking of the Listen cap. Listen up, kids. Speaking of the cap, uh, Dylan Cousins got lots of money against the cap. Seven years, $49.7 million. That's a nice carrot to dangle a young kid it's is he 21 you know who he can thank tage thompson he can thank tage for his long-term deal looking instantly brilliant and them going maybe we can do it again 
He is 21 years old. Oh, yeah. He's, how, how does a 21-year-old turn down $50 million? No brainer. But this is... I love the kid. I, this, I love the player. Me too. It's, it's a fantastic deal for, for Buffalo. You're getting the best seasons of his career. And in He's two or three Horvath, years... cheaper and better. Two or three years, as we know, the cap will rise. Yeah. Uh, Buffalo's locked in. I don't know if... If Adams plays his cards right, man, he's going to have a Stanley Cup contending team in probably under three years. Buffalo could be good. Montreal could be good. For, for you know? And, and have two or three, four opportunities mm-hmm. for uh, a dynasty. They could. Easy, but you need man. a goalie. Yeah. No, you need... You need a, yeah. Come on. Like, take a look. Darlene. Power. Right, the only power is it. That's come on. That's like, enough. You're gonna have a number one. How, how is it not treading, trending? Top ten guys. How, how is it not trending in the right direction for Buffalo if they just kind of close off one or two more pieces here, yeah. and then one has to be the goalie. I saw uh, Luka Lukanen. I saw uh, Emily Kaplan wrote a piece for ESPN today talking about um, Vancouver Canucks getting calls on Demko. Demko, yeah. And there was four teams that had called, and apparently they hadn't. Turned them down. They didn't say no to anything. Apparently, listen. I, they that, like this UPL though. They do. To I me, don't know if you guys remember, but last year, tell me if you remember this. I told you. You know the quickest way to uh, improve the Vancouver Canucks. Back last year, who did I say? No idea. Bo Horvat. What trade? Him? Trade him? Yes. You don't remember that? Oh, maybe. It, maybe I do. Okay. Okay. Anyways, a lot I of threw it out, and you guys were like, no. Oh, no way. Yeah. <laughs> like the biggest mistake they've made now is that they they didn't trade Bo and JT Miller. For sure. That's For it. Like think sure. about where they in in the last 6 or 8 months if they really really knew that they weren't Bo Horvat fans like you missed the boat. They did miss the but boat. But you you also missed the boat that yes Miller you should have got rid of Miller too. Big boats, missing them. Yeah, no, I agree. Right? That it, but it is like having having the, the Vancouver Canucks right now era in in a uh, Connor Bedard. Hey, we're going for Connor, which would have been the tank, of, I'm sure. But hey, listen, that's that's the new NHL now. We know that's true. We know it's there. Mm-hmm. It's real. But there would have been a lot more of a buy-in for Connor Bedard today. Well, yeah, but what I was getting at there is. I'm pretty sure the Buffalo Sabres are one of the teams that have called on Demko. Yes. Wouldn't you think? Like, if that, to me, if they figured out a way to... I know he's had a down year, he's been hurt or whatever, but if they got Demko... But are they ready? Be, I don't know. Are that's they the, ready? That's and, the question. And to, and to spend assets. Again, this, this Uka Pekalukanen, I know it's a funny name, but he's a, hell he's, of a he's a very good goalie. Right? And you don't want to send him away and thinking you've made now two mistakes with an Ulmer. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, it's... Man, they look good with Allmark. Listen, Owen Power could be a top-five defenseman in the NHL, and Rasmus Dahlin might win the Norris this year. Yeah. You have two guys like that back there, you're going to be good. You are going to be very, very good. Um, yeah, Tage Thompson, obviously, Cousins now locked up. Like, they're going to have pieces. I love that talk. I, 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 and, yeah. uh, I you know, we can Even talk... Skinner's having a good year now. We yeah. can talk all we want. When they win, he won't be a part We can talk all we want about... Pat Kane going to New York or Toronto, but uh, come on, how's Buffalo not make that call I and wonder, say, uh, "Pat, we can we can take you now." 
you just have to you have to be on board. So if you're a cane, do you say I'll do it for six million? You know, like I'll play for. I think you got to show more respect than that. He has been dreadful this year. Well, come on. Look at the circumstances. <laughs> the game is The organization no, has no been dreadful. With. You hung me out to dry. I'm just saying. He has not been good. He's got, he's, you know, he can get his points and make his plays, though. Yeah, I think you, you give him reason to be there's, motivated I, again. I would say there's a different situation playing for your hometown team who's all of a sudden sneaky good and hot here yeah. versus playing for a crappy franchise that's, you know, going in the wrong direction. So, yeah. anyways. Best thing to happen to the Sabres, get in playoffs this year. Get some experience in those big games. Get beat up by the Bruins a little bit. Learn some lessons. God, that'd be a fun playoff series, though, I think. Really fun. Sabres could take one or two off them. And they'd get shelled. Four straight? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. How was your uh, your your bets? Did uh, New Jersey not help you by not uh, winning a regulation? I had I had Florida to beat Tampa. That was the hard part of the bet. Jersey goes How up four one. Matthew Kachuk five points, just picking up right off the three on three game. Vasilevsky looked atrocious, and they're right back at it tonight. Tampa Bay. Yes, sir. Here's again. San Jose. All right, our thanks to Chris Terrian, Ken Hitchcock, and Larry Brooks. That was a fast two hours. Love to hear from you. Give us a rating and review, a thumbs up on YouTube. Always glad you're aboard. Enjoy tonight, and we're right back tomorrow on The Real Kipper and Born Show. Have a good night, everybody.